So the worst part about getting tired in the age of COVID is like, am I tired? Am I dehydrated? Have I worked too much? Or do I actually have an illness? Uh That's how I was feeling last night. But then today I'm like, no, I'm definitely sick. (laughs) Yeah. But the home test says no COVID. So I don't know. I guess technically, if it's a cold, it's technically a COVID, right? But not the COVID, not the big kahuna. Yeah, not not big Rona. Welcome to episode 439 of the Design Details Podcast. I am your co-host, Brian Levin. And I am your other co-host, Marshall Bach. Brian, 439, getting close to 440. Is that a meaningful number well, for I don't you? know, maybe 444 is a better one to uh, call yeah. out here. Yeah, milestones. Honestly, at this point, the number is so big, it's all <laughs> just abstract. I feel like the next big one, I guess, will be 500. But then after 500, there's nothing important. It's like, okay, uh, 1,000. 512. But like... 512 is a good one. <laughs> okay. okay, past 512, the next one is 1,024. <laughs> like, anyways, we've gone on too long. We have a packed episode with too much to talk about. But first, we have an exciting new sponsor hey. this week. Marshall, I'm very excited for this one. This week, we are supported by Clay. First of all, before you do anything, I need you all to go click on a URL. Well, I guess you can keep listening, but you can also pause. Go to clay.earth and just scroll that B-boy. Just look at that little website. Clay.earth is a beautiful website, a beautiful product. And luckily for us today is a supporter of the show. Clay set out to solve a perennial but tough problem. They wanted to create a single digital home for your people. It's kind of like a digital Rolodex, like a modern day personal CRM. Uh, If anyone knows what a CRM is, maybe Rolodex also (laughs) is is a little bit of an age term, but Uh a place for your people that helps you stay in contact with who you know and who you want to build a better relationship with over time. The Clay team realized early on that design would be a fundamental part of what Clay is all about. Relationships are incredibly intimate and personal, and handing that off to a digital tool can feel a little bit scary, it could feel impersonal, it could feel cold. So the tool needs to match the feeling of what people are doing with the tool, which is meeting people, staying in touch with people, and developing deeper relationships. So they've designed an incredibly beautiful and intuitive product. It has an awesome set of technical underpinnings that make it really easy to set up an account, add people who you care about. You don't have to add everybody manually. It can connect with your contact book, with LinkedIn, with Twitter, and like pull in professional relationships as well as personal relationships. I've been a Clay user for a long time, actually. I don't know, maybe over a year at this point. And it's just a very thoughtfully built, beautiful product. I specifically use it for two features. The first feature that I really love is what they call, I think it's called lists or groups. And it's just a way to organize people, like kind of apply a label to them. So for example, I have a label of people I would love to work with someday. And I just have a handful of folks in there as like dream team, ride or dies, day ones. Like these are people I would love to work with. I also have another list of designers who angel invest because I'm constantly just trying to connect people and and deals. And so having that list in one place has been super useful. But then the second feature that I love about theirs is once you've added people from your contacts from Twitter and LinkedIn, it'll send you a weekly digest of who is up to what. It'll tell you about location changes, job changes, uh, when people appear in the news. So if people have an article written about them, you can kind of hear about that passively as you go about using Clay. So two things. First, you should check out Clay. At the very least, go check out the website because it's beautiful. That's clay.earth. 
Second thing, they're hiring. They're hiring an experienced product designer. You can join them by checking out the careers page on their site or just email careers at clay.earth. And finally, Clay is offering a deal for Design Details listeners. You can get two free months of Clay if you go to designdetails.fm slash clay. That's C-L-A-Y. Thank you, Clay. Thanks, Clay. All right. This week, we are supported once again by our pals at Zeppelin. Zeppelin has created a fast and effortless way to create and outline user flows and journeys with a feature called Flows. You can use Flows to connect screens in seconds and map complete user journeys, showing not just the happy path, but all possible paths and behaviors, and keep it up to sync as you add and remove screens. It's magical. Learn more about it at zeppelin.io slash features slash flows. Or just head to zeppelin.io. That's Z E P L I N.io. Or check out a YouTube demo link in the show notes. Thank you, Zeppelin. Thanks, Zeppelin. Marshall, our uh, very important hot tub has <laughs> exceeded the 800 member capacity. Oh, well, it's a good thing we have room for 1,000. Yeah, yeah. On the road to 1,000. Uh-huh. But after that, we cut you off. No more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no more room in the hot tub. Actually, that'd be kind of an interesting model, right? Like uh-huh. only 1,000 humans on the planet can listen to this thing. I mean, this is the whole NFT thing, right? It's like, oh, what if yeah. only 1,000 people could have access to bonus episodes and then when they're done with it, they can sort of like trade that access. Yeah, it's an NFP, a non-fungible podcast. I like it. Hey, oh, you know what? I'm just going to clip that audio and send it to a venture capitalist. And I think they're going to give me $100 million. That's how it works, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how that works, right? right? I get half. TM, TM, TM. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you, everyone, for uh, becoming a very important pixel. Welcome into the club to Carlo, Gilad, Oscar Nielsen, Mike Riley, Isaac Tan, Eon Kim, Nick Trombley, Sean Leach. And Kyle Taylor. Nice. Trombley. Is, isn't that the last name of the family in uh-huh, Knives Out? Uh-huh. Okay. That's what I thought, too. Is it the Trombleys or the Thrombleys? Oh, maybe it is or the Thrombleys. Yeah, yeah, I think no, it's, it's Thromby. Thromby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But close. Yeah. I thought the same thing when I read this name. I'm like, oh, shit. This is Nick Trombley of Knives Out fame, who yeah. they based the movie on. <laughs> yeah. But turns out. out for those <laughs> knives. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to the fam. All right. Marshall. Today was a big day and one that was, golly, I could not keep up with. I feel like Twitter was just a buzzing, just <laughs> a buzzing bees of designers talking about Figma. Bzz, bzz. Bzz, bzz. Yeah, Config 2022, Brian. Quite the list of new features. Did you watch any of the panels or did you just catch the uh, keynote? Here's the thing. <laughs> I didn't catch any of it, oh, okay. mostly because <laughs> it started and I have morning meetings, but also it is like a 24-hour event, right? I think yeah. they blocked off 24 hours. I'm like, Run the I'll clock. catch the highlights, uh, which is, I know, a bad attitude. But yeah, I just didn't have time today. I was busy working on stuff. So tell me, what did I miss? Yeah, I luckily I didn't have any meetings before 9 a.m. today. So I was able to wake up at 8 and watch the, the full keynote. It was great. And here's a list of things they announced, Brian. Oh, actually, uh-huh. maybe we should start with a poll that we released earlier today on the Twitters. Oh, okay. Earlier today, I tweeted, which new Figma feature announced at Config 2022 has you most excited? Uh-huh. And I gave a few, you know, kind of top level things I thought people would be stoked about, but also had another and people replied. So maybe let's start off with this, Brian. Uh, the winner, by far, over 50%, 54% auto layout. That's what I voted for. Yeah. yeah. I did not vote for that, but I've had it for a while. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Coming yeah. in second with 25% of the vote was component properties. That's what I voted for. 
and then dark mode came up third at 13%, and then 8 full percent were others with replies, including the contrast ratio improvements. We'll get to all this stuff, spring animations, but really cool to see uh, what people are excited about because everybody's got something different that was their own pet peeve that got addressed today. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, right? Is like there's so many types of designers who use Figma these days that the things that excite you are irrelevant to another entirely different class of designers like auto layout, probably super relevant for anyone designing apps. And then I don't know, some of the other stuff, like maybe it doesn't matter to certain kinds of designers, which is awesome. Yeah, uh, And we'll talk about that here in a minute because I feel like it makes designing features at Figma really <laughs> interesting and complex. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's just uh, run through this list here. I put this in order of how they listed it on their What's New page on the site. Uh, link in the show notes. But let's run through it, Brian. You ready? Let's go. Okay, first up, Dark Mode came in third on our poll. Uh I knew about this a little bit early, Brian. One of my friends sent me a little uh, insider note that like, yeah. hey. This leaked, this leaked. Someone tweeted it too. Okay, they yeah. tweeted the the cheat code you found. Yeah. Okay, I, I intentionally did not tweet it. I was like, I know about it and I will share it with a couple friends just so uh-huh. they can play around with it. But like, hey, I'm, this should not be out in the wild, I'm guessing. So I'm not going to tweet about it, but somebody... Of course, somebody did. Well, uh, you could open up the terminal in Figma, which is Option Command I. I did not know that keyboard shortcut before this, but you could type in a string. Any web developers got that shit locked down? <laughs> oh, is this Monday, the same maybe. thing as Chrome? Okay, cool. cool, cool. It, yeah, it's a, any Electron app. Yeah, I'm a right-click inspect kind of a guy, but yeah, old school. I like it. I like your style. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could have just stopped it old, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Uh, but you could type in a specific string that would turn it to dark theme. And I was like trying all the different values for the argument in that line of code. Like, should, you know, if I change it to auto, will it work with my system setting? Or, you know, I kept trying a bunch of different values there to see if I could get it to work with the system setting. And it didn't. And I was like, oh, gosh, I hope they ship it with system theme as one of uh-huh. the options in addition to light and dark. And lo and behold, yes, thankfully, they did. So the one thing, though, it doesn't include is the canvas color, Brian. It changes the, the Chrome, but it doesn't change the canvas color. That's still on a per page basis. Yeah, this is one of those interesting things where, you know, when you make part of your UI customizable by the end user, especially the color of it, like it makes all these downstream things really complicated to build. Like I imagine there was a big conversation on a scope point of view. About, uh-huh. All right, well, do we let people choose a preferred light mode and dark mode canvas color? Mm-hmm. Ah, but it's different per page and like... It could get really gnarly. So I understand why they left it off. I imagine someone will just quickly build a... This would be literally a one-line Figma plugin to like just switch the canvas background color to be whatever theme you want. But first party is always better. First party, having it be a little automatic. Anyways, yeah, it's nice, but that's a small thing. Can I suggest, uh, if any Figma folks are listening, here's my suggested uh, solution for this is when I click on the canvas... In the design panel on the right side, there's basically one option with like background color and I can export stuff. But if I just had two colors there, one that said light, one that said dark, and I could yeah. change the canvas colors that are theme respective, that would make me happy. I feel like they, yeah, they could have some sensible defaults here, right? Like they have the E5, E5, E5. Right, and I exactly. Think, I forget what they have as like a recommend default for dark. But anyways, you could, yeah, you could easily put that even in the right click context menu. If you just right click on the canvas anywhere. There's a few options there, right? Like paste here, cursor chat, uh, just have one more row that's like, show me three little swatches or let me customize those swatches. I don't know. That would actually be kind of nice anyways, just as a general feature pre-dark mode because a lot of times people will change the canvas color to check the contrast of certain elements that they're working on, right? 
And so it's not necessarily about like the theme of the app, but they're actually trying to use the theme of the app to validate some assumption about their design. So having a quick way to do that or like pre-fill a few colors that you go to in a right-click menu or, you know, we'll talk about this with auto layout in a bit, but they've started adding a lot of shortcuts where you can command click on inputs in the properties panel. Mm -hmm. I can imagine it being there as well. Just like a little power user feature, right? Command click and it kind of switches between a couple default fills. Yeah, that's interesting to have it in the right-click menu. Well, I often have light and dark theme mocks usually like next to each other on the canvas. So switching back and Mm -hmm. forth, like one would be really bright, one would be really dark, and I end up encompassing them inside of a larger frame so that the Mm -hmm. dark mock is within a dark context around it. So it's Mm -hmm. not just sitting on white or sitting on E5. Um, Mm -hmm. And same thing for the light mode. So I don't know. Yeah, that's the problem with color being a relative thing, right? Like anything that's surrounding it will affect the perception of the thing inside. So... Yeah, you almost want, (laughs) oh my God, what if you could create canvas zones and one zone was a dark mode zone? Uh, Yeah. That'd be insane. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're basically, you might as well just make a new page and just have like a light page and a dark page sort of thing. Yeah. That's probably the right way to do it with the current That was a joking idea. I don't think that's actually. But yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) well, hey, we're going to get into some really complicated stuff here in a little bit, so. Uh, let's move on, though. So that's that's dark mode, the first thing on the list. Next up, variable fonts. I don't have much to say about this, but it's cool that it's included. It seems like it was a bit of a pet project for Dylan, the CEO. Yeah, well, it, it's great they support it specifically because it didn't like you couldn't use SF Pro with Figma. You always had to have the SF Pro text font family installed, but now you can just have SF Pro and, and inherit all of the future improvements to that variable font as Apple releases changes every year. So that'll be great. And I think also SF Pro didn't work with SF Symbols or something. There's like a couple of quirks where you're constantly having to switch to the right font family, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it looks like it has a ton of, one, great automatic like default options, but also right. a ton of adjustability. Yeah, cool. cool. Let's continue. Continuing on to the spring animation as a transition option. Brian, this is, this is awesome. Uh, previously, to do this, you would have to create multiple steps and I just never bothered doing it, even if I wanted a spring animation. It's like, ah, just use your imagination. That ease out as a spring. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just unruly. But now we can include springs. And the way it works here is pretty similar to what I'm used to. If you're going to do a custom spring, you have a stiffness property and a damping property. There's a mass uh-huh. property, which feels kind of similar. I think it's like friction and tension or something like that uh, in other places where I've seen springs implemented. But have you played around with this at all? Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yep. Anything else to say? <laughs> no, no, sorry. We just have too much more to talk about. Like spring animation is great. Let's keep going. Okay, let's keep going. So uh, next up, individual strokes per side. Finally, love it. Yes, please. Thank you. Yeah, the main use case for this being, it seems like divider lines above and below headers or between list items. This will make lives easier. I think it's it's more like anyone who makes stuff with CSS, switching between CSS and Figma has always been very frustrating because some things are slightly different. They don't work the same way. Like I remember when you can adjust the uh, offset property for drop shadows. Or what? What is it? I forget the name. The fourth number in a drop shadow like CSS declaration, and then they added it, and everyone was super happy. And then the separators is just always the one. It's like in CSS, you can add border top. You know, it's like such a simple thing. And then what I appreciated them calling out in the auto layout, they created a big playground. They specifically talked about how they used CSS concepts like border box 
and I think content box, whatever the the box sizing properties of CSS. That's how they handle things like whether the border affects the bounds of you know whatever it's contained in. So, anyways, I feel like Figma is doing a good job of kind of catching up to the CSS mindset, and they even actually added that with uh, some of the padding values on auto layout. You can command click. Well, we'll talk about this in a second, but you can like get into the comma separated value mode where you kind of work clockwise instead of having to go one by one through each input, which is a nice little quality of life feature. Yeah. Another thing that I really like about the individual strokes is I was wondering how they would handle rounded corners, uh, mm-hmm. whether it would like cut off at the 45 degree angle or, you know, like how, how would they handle that? It's easy with a, a square rectangle. Like, yeah, it, it kind of rounds, but it rounds edges. off. Yeah. It almost looks yeah. like a, a drop shadow narrows to a point. Right. All right, next up, we got component properties. I'm going to talk about this in incredible detail in the sidebar. <laughs> so if you are yeah. a, a VIP and member of our Patreon, it's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. Join us over there. Uh, moving on to Spotlight. Brian, how many times have you had to say, hey, uh, <laughs> click on my yeah. face and, uh-huh. and, and follow me? Uh-huh. No more. Now we have the ability yeah. to basically present uh, within Figma, where you can, it seems like you can force anybody who is in the file to observe you. I call it, uh, I say, witness me. <laughs> witness my raw power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a Mad Max Fury Road reference, but but yeah. Well, you know what it reminded me of? They had a little demo video of it. it it's almost like you turn on a magnet on your cursor because like all the other cursors sort of flock to you. Yeah. I call it magnet mode. Spotlight was a weird one for me because I associate Spotlight with different things. But yeah, Search. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, magnet mode would have been fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It almost felt like herding a flock of sheep. Yeah, it was like flock. Yeah, yeah. Shepherd exactly. mode. <laughs> Let me shepherd you around this Figma file because I know it's a nightmare. So let me guide the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spotlight, cool. Spotlight, that's cool. That's that's a nice feature to have. It will save me from telling PMs to click on my face. All right. Yeah. Next up, widgets in FigJam. I don't use FigJam a whole lot, but this seems like a pretty cool thing. And and it includes a GitHub widget to start with, Brian. Yeah. Well, so they've had widgets for a while, right? I think they're just calling out some of the cool new ones, like the GitHub one. Well, there, sorry, I should have led with there is a new thing called a widget code generator, which allows yeah, they, anybody to write their own widgets. And they have a few starter ones, including third party <laughs> ones like GitHub. Here's, I feel very torn about FigJam Marshall. Maybe this is worth a whole other episode. You know, just because you mentioned you don't use it, that kind of sparked. I'm like, I don't use it either. But I know so many people who love it. Like they spend so much time in there. And there's people who are building really crazy widgets in there, like the GitHub one. My my coworker and friend Cold built that. And it, like I got to see it kind of evolve as like such a cool thing that can exist inside of of this tool Figma. But it's kind of scoped off into this fig jam surface that I don't have an affinity for. Uh so I don't know. Maybe that's a future topic. Like, what's up with fig jam? I get it's like I get it, but I just haven't found a way to fit it into my day to day work. If that makes sense, yeah. I always feel like I'm wearing oven mitts. <laughs> That's a great description. Yeah, everything's a little bit chunkier, right? Yeah, like there's less um, granularity to sort of grip your cursor and do. Yeah, I like that. I feel like the voting aspect, the sticker voting, mm-hmm. is kind of the killer feature, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. that. Whereas technically you could do that with Figma, but it's just not as ergonomic as the sticker wheel that they've created and the ability to just like spam stickers. Yeah. Um, well, it did do it with Figma before we had FigChamp. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah, as good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But cool. cool. So that's widgets. Uh, yeah, we'll maybe talk more about Fig, Fig Jam in a future episode. 
Moving on, uh, we got password protected prototype links. This has been a huge ask among my peers. I don't know about you, but being able to send out a prototype to user testing and have a participant look at it without worrying about whether or not it's going to leak is a a huge security addition. So this is greatly appreciated. Yeah, that's fantastic. Here, I just want a quick tangent. I've been doing a lot of hiring (laughs) at GitHub and I I had a sassy tweet last week. I tweeted, uh, I can't remember, something like, you would be totally blown away at how many people apply for a job and forget to include the password to their portfolio. Oof. And yeah. more and more portfolios I'm encountering are just Figma prototypes, which is, by the way, a very interesting development, right? Like, uh-huh. you went from having a portfolio that you built to having a like Notion powered portfolio. And now it's just like, ah, it's just some Figma slides. Not to say that it's not well designed, but it's yeah. interesting that that interaction has moved to Figma. Anyways, lots of people forget their passwords, and I'm anticipating being locked out of a lot of Figma prototype portfolios. So, <sighs> PSA, if you're applying for a job, include the password, please. Or make it guessable. <laughs> uh, it's usually something like um, Portfolio 2022. I feel yeah. like that's the yep. thing most people, like Portfolio plus year. Or the name of the company. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good idea too, yeah. All right, moving on. Another file thing. Uh, You can favorite files now, so they'll show up in your sidebar. Um, I don't know that I would use this. I'm just a million tabs at once kind of a guy. I don't know about you. I just like accrue tabs throughout the week, and then at the end, I clean house. Interesting. Uh, If I have too many tabs open, it destroys my computer. Um, I'm more of like a command slash search kind of guy, but I get it. Favorites sound great. Also, I don't use files for that long. I think I have one file that has been a long-running file at GitHub, and it's my playground file. But everything else, like feature-level stuff, that kind of sticks around for, I don't know, a week or two, and then it's gone. feels a lot more ephemeral. So I guess maybe during that week or two, I would favorite it. But if I'm working on it, it's always going to be the first thing in my sort of home grid. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Recents. Plus, there's the, uh, I'm not sure when they added this, but there's a three dot in the top right of the tab bar that has a list of your recently closed tabs, which I found really useful. Yeah, that's new, right? That came out with when they introduced the uh, tab icons that we talked about two weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's when it happened. Yeah, same time. We didn't mention it at all, but I like that was a really useful aspect of that update. All right. Next thing is international keyboard shortcuts. Brian, I am a huge advocate of using keyboard shortcuts. I did not realize that there is a problem with the international versions of these, uh, I, I guess, based on the different keyboard layout. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm kind of curious how this manifests itself, but I'm, I'm glad that more people can use more keyboard shortcuts. That's great. Seems like a huge win. Agreed. Especially since we harp on it on the show all the time. Like one of the best ways to just be more productive is to take your hands off the keyboard less. So that sounds great. Left hand on the keyboard, right hand on the trackpad or the mouse. Make things happen. Hey. Hey. All right. Next up, we got review states for branches. I haven't used branches a ton, but having that review state without having to ping everybody and be like, hey, here's a link to the branch. Can you go check it out and take a look at it? I'm ready to merge it back in before I do. Please look. Having these states is is really useful, but I kind of want this everywhere now, Brian. They they opened the dam, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. I, I want this on files. I want this on pages and frames to be able to like add an you know at a first party level say this is the final one or I'm still working on this page. Like don't look without having to like hack it into the page name or something. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, all the way down to a frame level, right? Uh, yeah. Because you have comments, but being able to sort of elevate a comment as an approval or not is an interesting thing because then being able to like recall that history 
would be useful. Uh, I don't know. Sounds complicated. Like the more reviews that you add, like where reviews can appear in multiple places for specific things that could be confusing, right? Yeah, it shouldn't be all of these things. I get why they kept it at a branch level. Yeah, yeah. Branch is the right place to start, but like I kind of want it in more places or at least the option to have it in more places. I don't know, but love it. Good addition. Uh, I've never used outline mode. I don't. I, I was looking in my keyboard shortcuts, like completion thing, and it was still white. I've never used it before. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I turned it blue, and yeah, I've, wait, I, what? What are you talking about? Completion? What? White, blue? Yeah. When you keyboard uh, shortcuts. So if you click on the question mark circle on the bottom right of Figma, if you haven't hidden it, and go to first keep- of all, didn't know that existed. I've never seen that. <laughs> I've never seen that. You want to know why? Because I've I have basically blocked that corner of every application screen from my vision because it's always an intercom widget on websites. So if I see a, if I see a circle down in the bottom right corner, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, get out of here. Not for me. Yeah, it's like okay, uh, chat support. Yeah, okay. So, so keyboard shortcuts. Well, this is also that. <laughs> it's like the help center and and okay. feedback and all that stuff. But it also includes keyboard shortcuts, which you can get to <gasps> by Control wow. Shift Question Mark. And wow, wow, wow. It's a little bottom panel that has tabs and every single keyboard shortcut. I think every single. Marshall, wow. This is such a this is so exciting. Did I not Okay, and here's a here's an interesting thing, Brian. When what? you complete all of them, there's a little Easter egg. And I've never completed all of them, so I don't know what that Easter egg is. I just know that there is one. <laughs> I'm so excited right now. There's little animations when voice. you do them. They sort of shimmer and, and yeah. they'll pop up. And when you do the whole page, wow. the whole page shimmers. Yeah. Shut up. Enjoy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. Wow, this is the coolest thing I've seen. <laughs> Yeah, this has been around forever. I'm surprised. I'm about to complete a page. Let me see what happens. All right. The whole list is shimmering. Oh, that's nice. All right. Uh, If again, if you work at Figma (laughs) and you're listening, that is the sound of surprise and delight. So you that is the sound of delight. Yeah, that's that's the check that off your OKRs. Delighted. Boyish wonder (laughs) over here. (laughs) All right. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) Colors. Animations. It is really nice, though. Anyways, check it out if you haven't before. But outline mode, I guess, has been improved and allows you to see more bounds of things and containers. I never go into it, but I guess it's the equivalent of like Command Y in Illustrator, if you've ever used that. But yeah. Uh, Okay. So, Brian, we've made it through the most of the (sighs) things. And the only thing left to talk about is auto layout. And you have lots of notes. So I will hand it over to you now. All right. This will be like a first impressions episode because it can't be a review. I've only used it for like an hour. Oh, yeah. It came out. I didn't have a chance to use it during the day. Then my Figma app upgraded, and then I played around with it this evening. Well, so I can actually help you out there because I've been using it for weeks. So if you have questions, maybe I can answer them for you. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to just take this over, Marshall? You want to do? No, no. no I'm, I really want to hear your initial first impressions, thoughts of it. Yeah. All right. So first things first. Figma consistently creates these playground files whenever they launch a new feature like this. I think they did this with the last auto layout update, and these must take so much time and effort. I can't even imagine. But they're really good. They're really, really good. I found a couple of bugs in them, which is interesting because it's a community file that you like duplicate. It's not that big of a deal because you can figure it out. And like basically, one bug I found is they had locked some layers that weren't meant to be locked, so I can just go in and unlock them. But it kind of breaks the immersion of going through the tutorial. Anyways, uh, for people who are upgrading and just want to get a dive deep dive into the new auto layer, I just recommend 
going and doing the playground. Uh, yeah, and the I think it's the direction frame, where it talks about the direction of auto layout. That's the one that we noticed where the thick bordered rectangles below the circles, they don't correspond with the illustration above them. They're backwards. Actually, you know, Marshall, I think that's actually a quirk with the new auto layout that I do not like. Is it is it an error or because I'm seeing a vertical stack of things on a vertical stack, but the image it has below the horizontal stack is a vertical stack of the layer icon, and vice versa for the vertical stack. Okay, well maybe I can just jump ahead because I wrote down some things that were confusing to me, and this is one of the things that's very confusing to me. Okay, the mix and match of horizontal and vertical directions and the shape of the position lines. It's so hard to describe what I'm talking about. But in the auto layout area, there's these position lines, like the little bars, like it's like a little bar chart, right? Yeah, the nine point positioning square. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're in vertical direction, those bars are horizontal. Mm -hmm. And if you're in horizontal layout mode, those bars are vertical. And like, I get it, but also it's just breaking my brain. It's like, no, the arrow is like pointing this direction but the bars are pointing a different direction because those the the little bars for alignment almost look like a little arrow, you know, like they're, yeah. it almost looks like they're pointing a specific way. So that's not what they're meant to represent. <laughs> like that's not what they represent. Mm-hmm. They represent how things of different sizes would align with that alignment. Yes, it's about alignment, but it's just the direction of the the rectangles. Anyways, it's maybe that's just a my brain thing. Maybe how about I get it, get the confusing stuff out of the way first, and then yeah, yeah. and then we can talk about all the good stuff. Okay, so that was one thing that I noticed. The second thing that I noticed is the dragging direction on padding handles. It feels wrong. Tell me if tell me if I'm off on this, Marshall. So if you, <laughs> yeah, this is just breaking my brain. All right, so create a frame with auto layout and give it some nice padding, like I don't know, thirty two on all sides. Okay, and now hover over that frame and get to where you're going to drag one of those little pink handles. Maybe do the, the one on the left side, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you want to reduce that padding, okay? If you drag it to the right, it increases the padding. If you drag it to the left, it decreases the padding, which is weird, right? Am I crazy? No. Uh, well, I think okay. you just need I, to like, align I, your head this way. Of Yes, I have to change my mental model. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not dragging the handle. Well, I am dragging the handle, but I'm not dragging like the spacing, you're dragging the <sighs> center of the spacing. I, I will get used to this. I think what what where it breaks my brain is like if I'm making a button and I want more space on the left side of the button, your instinct is to drag the left side of the button outwards, right? I want more space on the left side, but that's not how auto layout works. You have to drag to the right to increase the, the padding on the left side. Well, I think it depends on the width setting you have. If it's set to hug, it will always be top left anchored. So when you drag to the right, it gets bigger. When you drag to the left, it gets smaller. When you drag down, it gets bigger. When you drag up, it gets smaller, right? But if you have a fixed width for your frame, the left side, when you drag it to the right, will get bigger. But the right side padding, when you drag it to the left, will get bigger because it's going from the nearest anchored side. When you have hug contents for the width of the container, there is no anchored side except for the left. So everything resizes from the left. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just one of those things like my brain has to reorient itself a little bit because I don't think that's how it worked before. Well, I guess I didn't have this. Before, yeah, you didn't. Right? You weren't able to drag before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and actually, you know what? In practice, I never use these. I still just go over to the panel, or I'll click on it and enter a number. 
Right, right, right. Okay. But Fair enough. more often than not, it gets in my way when I'm trying to click off and deselect. I'll accidentally click on the padding and then it uh-huh. pops up the text field to enter a number and I have to click off yeah. again to deselect. It's a really interesting thing that's happening here, right? Which is that you select a frame that has auto layout and all of the zones of padding are now click areas, which is fine because I guess technically there shouldn't be stuff there, but it just makes a lot of your interface clickable that is an empty space. And I feel like empty spaces aren't usually clickable. So I don't know. It feels clever, but also just got to get used to it. Yeah. Okay. Third thing that is slightly annoying. I loved on the previous auto layout in the alignment area, there are these little arrows where you could quickly flip between fixed hug and fill on either axis. Those arrows in that sort of nine grid box have now become drop downs in the frame properties. So after width and height, now it has horizontal resizing and vertical resizing drop downs, which is fine. It's just an extra click. So that's minor, but I use that all the time. So an extra click is actually kind of meaningful. Maybe there's a way to map that to a Yeah, I was going to say a keyboard shortcut, shortcut would make that easier. Yeah, maybe I'll find one. Okay, and then the last thing, just a very small thing, but auto layout properties do interact with the new text truncation feature in a weird way. And it's mostly fine because it's doing, I think, what it should be doing, except that text truncation, that feature is hidden in the uh, drop-down of the type settings. Yeah, the three-dot, yeah. And so it could be misleading that you've like sort of overridden that by changing something very far away in the, the auto layout settings. So that's a minor thing, but I imagine that will... It's just one of those things where like when stuff that affects how things get rendered is getting buried in more and more drop-downs, it becomes hard to like understand the state of a screen but it becomes especially hard to understand the state of somebody else's screen. Like, how does this work? Oh, shit, I got to like click through these drop downs to see what they have enabled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you solve that because my last maybe quirk or point on the auto layout changes is, you know, we said this last time too, Marshall. Remember when the last auto layout came out? We we're like, damn, they're adding a lot of stuff over in the properties panel. Well, they added even more stuff. <laughs> like, holy shit, there's a lot of inputs and little icons and. Uh, you know, there's the new absolute position icon for individual elements within an auto layout frame. Now we have individual inputs for the four paddings. We have a new drop down for advanced layout within auto layout. There's just more stuff. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. And I feel like there's always going to be this tension for Figma, which is how do you continue to make this tool feel approachable and intuitive, but also allow for the fact that you are going to have professionals using it. Let it be a pro tool. I don't know. I, I'm curious how those conversations go. I don't think I've you know, necessarily had to design around that kind of constraint. Like, yeah, we want to make this approachable for n- the next generation of designers, but also it needs to be powerful enough that it has a billion buttons to change every auto layout property and text property that you could possibly imagine. So they're walking that fine line. But yeah, the properties panel has has gotten a little busier today. Yep. But yeah, I, I don't know how to solve that problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one yeah. to do. Uh, can I uh, yeah. pile on to the text truncation thing? Yeah, yeah. So I have a nit to pick here of where the ellipsis appears. I would love for it to always <laughs> okay. appear at the end of the line. So if I have a single line of text, the way it works now is it will wrap the full word and ellipsize the last word that can fit fully on the line 
which means okay. that you end up with a bunch of extra space potentially at the end. I wish it was a per character truncation, right? So that it would do yeah. as many letters as it can yeah. so that the ellipsis fits within the bounds. Which is how CSS and I think native platforms work as well, right? Like you can truncate midword, no problem. Yeah, and I've seen it do it before where it will truncate in the middle of a word, but I can't get it to work consistently. I don't know why it works sometimes and not others. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to recreate it because I can sometimes get it to go character by character, but right. other times I can't. Maybe there's a, a rule at play here that I am not aware of. Maybe the last word is allowed to go character by character. Yeah, if it's the very, very last word or something. I don't know. Yeah, so here's the repro steps for anyone listening. <laughs> listening at home and wants to enjoy this thrilling podcast content, uh, create a text layer with two words, put it in an auto layout frame, set the text layer to fill width and to truncate text and then just drag the parent frame side to side and the second word always gets clipped uh, and the first word is allowed to truncate per character yeah it's just the first word i wish it was every word give me every word please there you go hey we asked for something nicely that's that's a cool thing (laughs) give me the world please (laughs) all right should we talk about uh, some cool stuff about auto layout and then maybe cool things we got to keep this a little bit balanced because it's we're getting really into the weeds here um, okay, well, let me call out a cool, a couple of cool things. So learn the keyboard shortcuts. So the first thing that's really cool is if you hold shift while moving any one of the sort of padding or pink handles inside an auto layout frame, it will resize based on your nudge amount, which is so awesome. I love that. So yeah, my and nudge not amount, just increase by the nudge amount, but snap to 8, 16, yeah. 24, 32. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. So I, I, my big nudge amount is four. So I have like the perfect granularity, which means I'll never land on a three ever again. And like, then have to go over, click the input, go up by one. Because, you know, sometimes if you're zoomed out too far, it's really hard to yeah. get it exactly you at can't. the one you three, need. Three, five, three, five, fuck. Exactly, yeah. So that's great. Hold shift. If you hold option uh, while you're adjusting any of those properties, it'll affect both sides of the same axis. So if you're moving the left and hold option, it'll also move the right at the same time. If you hold option and shift, it'll adjust all the axes at the same time. So quick way to adjust equidistant paddings on all four sides by dragging the handles. You don't have to go type anything. You don't have to tab through four inputs. You just hold option, shift, and then drag a slider. It's going to be great. Uh, I love that they have the advanced auto layout uh, option to exclude strokes from the layout. This is great. This is how it should work because I feel like they they mostly designed the new auto layout. I feel like it's literally to accomplish this one problem, which is Everyone wants these little stacks of avatars where the avatars kind of overlap uh-huh. and you need uh, a stroke to to separate the, the avatars. Yeah, we call them a face pile. Face piles, thank you. A- avatar stacks, face piles, whatever. So that one design element that literally every product designer needs at some point in their interface, I feel like drove half the decisions in the new auto layout, which is, okay, one, it was really annoying that you couldn't have negative spacing between elements. Mm-hmm. They fixed that. Mm-hmm. The second is that the strokes were always included in the size of the auto layout frame, which meant like even if you wanted the avatars to be 16 points high, it would always extend up to like 20 or something because you have a two-point stroke or something. No more. Now the the size of the thing is the size of the thing. It's great. That's great. Uh, the text baseline alignment is also one of those crazy things. Where I'm like, holy shit, how do they figure this out? I think the use case that they illustrated in the playground file was aligning icons and their labels. When you have like a set of horizontally laid out icon plus label pairs, you can make sure that the baseline of the text is always going to be aligned. Lovely quality of life feature, I guess. And what else? 
I've had uh, mixed results with it for what it's worth. Okay. The the base alignment, depending on the font and maybe it's the fonts I'm using. Yeah, that was one of those things where I'm like, when I tried it for the first time and it worked, I'm like, holy shit, how did they figure this out? But I can imagine just edge cases abound, right? Yeah, I'm looking at like, I'm using the font enter and I have one text object at 20 points and another at 12 right next to each other. And the 12 is about uh, four tenths of a pixel low. <laughs> <laughs> Four tenths of a pixel too. Yeah, low. two fifths. You could round. Unacceptable for Marshall Bach. Unacceptable. <laughs> I take no subpixel misalignment. Well, I mean, but it's a subpixel misalignment. Much. Like it, it's pretty obvious, <laughs> even when you zoom yeah. out, that like this is a little bit lower than that, right? So yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. there's some tweaking to do there, but I haven't been able yeah. to use it consistently the way I wanted to yet. Yeah. Um, okay. There's a couple other cool keyboard shortcuts. Maybe the last couple helpful ones that I want to call out. If you click on the alignment grid in the properties panel, so just click like literally anywhere inside of it. I think it should have a focus state, by the way. This is maybe a nit for the, the Figma team. When you click in there, I think the border of that should become blue. And the reason it should have a focus state is be, oh, it does. Wait, hang on. Well, when you click on it, it kind of focuses it and you can press WASD to quickly change your alignment. But that focus state only appears when you click WASD. I think it should focus on that first click to know if you've correctly focused it. Because if you don't, like what happened earlier when I was trying it, is I was not focused on the alignment grid and I typed S and it started creating slices. So I think it should have a focus after you clicked even just for the first time. So that's one thing. And the second is when it's in that focus state, you can hit X to switch between uh, packed justification and uh, what's what's it called? Space between. I don't know if I'm going to remember those shortcuts, but anything to like help me going through those drop downs because now space between yeah space between is in a in the advanced layout options. Yeah, it's just a lot of drop downs now. I think those also exist are like option S option you know, option WASD or something like that to do canvas alignment or like object alignment. Oh, interesting. Um, so first impressions auto layout is this auto layout v4? Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it the very official rating of pretty chill. <laughs> I'm sure that there's a direct alignment to stars there, but yeah. Yeah, somehow. We'll, we'll uh, button up our, our rating system at some point. Maybe an episode 1,000 will clarify. You know, Pretty chill <laughs> equals seven and a half stars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a granular star system. <laughs> All right, Brian, uh, we got some jobs this week. You want to move on to the job board? Let's do it. Marshall Notion. Notion. Notion is hiring product designers. Imagine in the 1970s when I wasn't alive, but just imagine I was alive. Uh-huh. Imagine you're alive in the 1970s. Thinking through how computing should be. Well, that's what Notion is trying to build. They're trying to build beautiful software that fits everyone's needs. And they have infinite challenges that can only be solved by someone with innate product sense, technical aptitude, great taste, and impeccable craft. Mm, sounds like my type of person. Yeah, sounds like your type of person. So Notion is hiring. Materialize is also hiring. They are building a reactive database to disrupt batch data warehouses like Snowflake. And they're looking for their first full-time in-house designer to come in and own the product design for Materialize Web UI. Technical and developer tools experience is a huge plus. Thanks, Materialize. Thank you, Materialize. Webflow is hiring designers across all of their product pillars focused on growth, collaboration, designer, and site capabilities. The role is remote first with an option to work in their San Francisco office. Thank you, Webflow. Thanks, Webflow. And lastly, we have Git Kraken, spelled G-I-T-K-R-A-K-E-N. 
Git as in like Git, Git the the technology, like GitHub, yeah, the, yeah. and Kraken as yeah. in the sea monster, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Git Kraken. They are building tools to visualize complex systems and improve productivity for millions of developers. They're looking for designers with Git experience. Go figure. Who are excited by the challenge of designing delightful, efficient, and themable interfaces that make Git easier and safer to use? Thank you, Git Kraken. Lovely. So those are our jobs. If you want to check out the rest of them. We have 15 on the job board this yeah. week, Marshall. 15 jobs. Those are all at designdetails.fm slash jobs. So if you're looking for an opportunity, I recommend going there first. Or if your company is hiring designers and wants to get on the job board, head to designdetails.fm slash jobs. Or uh, DM me if you need more info. Uh, happy to share all of our metrics and analytics about the show. But yeah, we'd love to get great roles in front of great designers. So thank you to uh, the companies on the job board this week. Yeah. And- Hopefully someone out there is listening and clicks through and gets a job. That that's gonna be that's gonna be a big moment. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for that day when we get our first hire through the job board. All right. Should we get into cool things? Let us get into cool things, Brian. You go first. Okay, Marshall. I I'm hesitant to make this my cool thing this week because I want to make a YouTube video about this app I'm about to tell you about. Okay. It might be my new favorite app. Oh, dang. All right. I'm excited. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Uh and I'm obsessed with it for a couple of weird reasons. So the app is called Eagle, and the domain is eagle.cool. And I discovered this through my coworker, Gavin Nelson, who works with me on the mobile team at GitHub. We're hiring. Uh, Gavin was showing me Eagle, which is, I guess you'd call it like a visual bookmarking application. So it's to save clips from images, videos, design files, PDFs, like whatever it is that you're working on, you can just save them into this nice grid and organize them into folders, give them tags, add labels, they're searchable, all sorts of stuff like that. Why is Eagle cool? Eagle is cool because it is incredibly well designed. It is uh, local first. It sits on top of your file system. It is not a cloud service, which means that it is incredibly fast to use. It's like using software that's actually fast. And you're like, why can't all software be like this? And so I feel like that's one of the reasons I'm obsessed with it is it just does things the millisecond you say to do the thing, which is, an I don't know how all software should work, but somehow Eagle has built a really wonderful tool that has upheld that. So I haven't bookmarked too much stuff. I have 165 things in my little collection, but I know Gavin has thousands and I'm sure other people have like tens of thousands. So maybe it gets slower over time, but it sits on top of your file system. One of the really cool things about sitting on top of your file system is that you can inspect it. So they have this sort of proprietary .library file name. And one of the really cool things I like about Eagle, this is just the nerdy detail, but you can click into that directory and see all of the metadata JSON files for everything that you've uploaded, Uh, which means that you can write scripts on top of your file system. And in fact, they've even developed a little API where you can sort of script the organization of all these assets. But I imagine most people won't do that. What most people will want to do is just drop images and videos in here, organize them, categorize them, and just build this sort of mood board of inspiration for you know future projects. So for example, I have a collection of really cool app icons. I have a collection of lovely mobile interactions. I've started a collection of hardware design that I love. I have a collection of old school app interfaces. Uh, a lot of them are coming from the archive UI Twitter account. I've started a collection for empty states. And on and on. So I'm just, I'm just sort of organizing things as I encounter them on the web. Now, you encounter these things on the web and you're like, okay, well, I got to screenshot it and I got to drag it into Eagle and blah, blah, blah. Nope. Eagle has built one of the craziest, most buckwild browser extensions I've ever seen. Marshall, 
later you'll have to install it and try it. Okay. It's crazy because what they do is they make it so that if you just start to drag and drop any image or video, it overlays this little eagle ah, picker where you can just drop it onto a folder. This is just like Yoink. It's Yes, it's like that. It's kind of like the Pinterest extensions, but it is much smoother. It is lovely. Uh, the browser extension also has a couple of other really cool features like batch saving. So you can just click one shortcut. It'll find every image on the page. You can select the ones that you want to save, click one button to save those so you don't have to go one at a time. They also have the ability to capture a full page screenshot, uh, which is nice. You can actually save a live URL as well. I don't do this, but if you wanted to just bookmark a website and have the ability to like browse that website from within Eagle, you can do that too. And I've barely scratched the surface. On top of all of this, they have tons of search, sort, and filter. Like You can browse by color, you can apply tags, things can appear in one folder or multiple folders, you can nest folders. Like It just goes on and on. Uh, one of my favorite things is when you are viewing sort of the grid of all the things that you've saved, if you hover over a video thumbnail, your mouse acts as the playhead. So you can actually scrub the video just by dragging your mouse and go frame by frame and and kind of pause and linger on a specific frame of a video. It's just a lovely application. I kind of want to make a YouTube video about it just because I feel like it'll be fun for me to be this effusive about a piece of software and be like, this is gorgeous. This is how fast all software should be. It's really cool. Look, you could look at the JSON metadata. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so that's my cool thing this week. I think it's eagle.cool. It's a one-time purchase, 30 bucks. Easy peasy, but they also have a 30-day trial. So I, I think people should just try it and poke around, if only just to do some research on well-designed applications. Cool thing, Brian. There's also a, a nice little like minute-long intro video if you don't got the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, Brian, we got a little tiny bit of follow-up from my last cool thing where I talked about NFC tags, not NFTs, but NFC Not NFPs. Not an NFP and near-field communication? I think so. Yeah. And uh, Kyle Taylor wrote in and said, I have some wall art of some bands I like, and I put an NFC tag in the frame so when I scan it, it will play on my nearest HomePod mini. Do I use it a lot? No. Is it fun to show visitors all the capabilities <laughs> of my smart home? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's actually maybe my favorite idea for using these stickers. Uh, yeah, this is such a cool idea. If I had posters or albums or anything, I, I might consider doing it, but I probably would also use it very little. Yeah, yeah. It's nice in theory, but in practice, it's like, yeah. yeah. It looks really <laughs> cool, though. It looks, yeah, it sounds right. awesome. Uh, Thanks for that follow-up, Kyle. And moving on to the cool thing. So, Brian, I've been trying to do something with my non-design cool things that I recommend. You had an awesome app here that is like very applicable to the audience. I'm about to recommend a television show, a game show, but I'm going to call out some of the specific design details about it that I think are interesting. (gasps) He said it. He said the word. He said the word. It's the name of the movie. All right. The name of this show is called Bullshit colon The Game Show. It's a show Uh on Netflix. It's hosted by Howie Mandel. And a real quick side note, I think the reason it's called Bullshit, colon, The Game Show is because there's already a show called Bullshit. It's by Penn and Teller where where they like debunk myths and and bullshit, essentially. Uh, So my guess is they had to add that colon, The Game Show, to differentiate it in the marketplace. But it's essentially who wants to be a millionaire. So think about who wants to be a millionaire, 10 steps, 10 questions, Start low, end at a million dollars, get them all right, go home with money, right? What's different about this show is, like its name suggests, lying and bullshitting is part of the show. So 
there's a contestant who is trying to get the answers correct, but there are three more contestants, who I'll call judges, and they are trying to determine whether the other contestant is bullshitting or not. So after every answer, based on the way they give the answer, their reasoning for the answer that they gave, their body language, all that stuff, these three people either say, yeah, I believe them, they're telling the truth, or nope, bullshit. And after every question is answered, Howie goes to those judges and, and picks one or two out and says, what do you think? And they explain it. And then they go back to the person They're like, OK, well, were you telling the truth or not? Were you bullshitting? Did you know this answer or not? They can still get the money for that step and move on to the next question if even one person believes them or if obviously if they get the question right, they move on. OK, so here's where it gets interesting, Brian. Here's the twists. Uh, uh-huh. Those three judges have their judgments rated. So whichever one of them is most accurate with the predictions of bullshit or not, when the contestant either wins or loses, the top judge with the best accuracy becomes the new contestant. The second best judge sticks around and the third leaves and doesn't get to play again. They bring in a new judge to fill out the judges and they start again. So the show never fucking ends. Like there's always just this conveyor <laughs> uh-huh. belt of judge to contestant to judge, you know, it, it just keeps going through. And in addition to that, they put the episode breaks at a place that you would never put it if this wasn't on Netflix. If this was on like broadcast television, they put in cliffhangers. So before someone, you know, chooses to go on or we find out whether or not they were bullshitting or whatever, the episode will end. And of course, you get the five second countdown to the next episode and you're like, yeah, I want to know what happened. And now you're in a new episode. And because it's a conveyor Uh, belt, it just keeps uh going, keeps going. Really interesting way to to do one of these shows, like especially on a non-network platform, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It feels, I don't know, does that feel arbitrary? Like it feels like very much like they're trying to hack my brain, right? I mean, network shows do this with commercial breaks, but... Yeah, yeah, it's a dark pattern, 100%. Yeah, for sure, but it works. It definitely works. Um, you know, I can stop whenever I want to, Brian. <laughs> I could quit anytime. I just choose not to. Uh-huh, uh-huh. One more episode. It. One more episode. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, bullshit, colon, the game show. It, it's Who wants to be a millionaire with a few twists? Yeah, it's interesting. So there's no lifelines. There's no concept of lifelines. No, yeah, yeah. if you don't have a lifeline, you just have to bullshit. Okay, I got it. Cool thing. Thank you, thank you. Glad you enjoyed it. We hope everyone else has enjoyed it too. We hope you all are listening and, and enjoyed our Figma deep dive as well as uh, our cool things this week. Thank you once again to Clay for making this episode possible. Clay has built the most beautiful and thoughtful way to maintain and nurture the relationships that are most important to you. You can learn more at clay.earth. Check out their beautiful website. They're hiring product designers. Apply for a job today. And if you want to try Clay, you can get two months free if you use our link, designdetails.fm slash clay. That's C-L-A-Y, like clay, but earthy material, (laughs) hence clay.earth. Designdetails.fm slash clay. Thank you, Clay. Thanks, Clay. And thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know what you thought. As always, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. If you enjoyed this episode and uh, want to keep listening, you want to keep hearing my uh, stuffed up voice in your headphones. Uh-huh. Uh, Actually, it'll be my nasally voice in your headphones because uh, we're going to be talking in the sidebar about component properties. Yeah. How about this? You want some more nasally voices in your head? <laughs> Go pay us a dollar to have the privilege of having that enter your ears. <laughs> <There> you <laughs> That's go. it. Patreon.com slash design details. 
Support us for just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. And you get access to bonus episodes every single week. The sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. Yeah. As Marshall mentioned this week, we're doing another Figma deep dive into the new component properties feature unleashed at FigCon 2022. All right. That's it. That's the episode. Catch you next week. Bye. Also, can we talk about that name, Bullshit the Game Show? Because there's another TV show already called Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine, Marshall, if you're allowed to just make an app called like YouTube, the game platform? Uh-huh. <laughs> YouTube, like, colon. YouTube, the chat app. The chat yeah. app. Yeah, the yeah. photo feed. It's like, what? Yeah. No, no, no. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah.